Thanks for tuning in to our Monday Night Godcast, an immersive and interactive discussion of the Bible. If you're listening to this right now, then I know for a fact that God has something for you. That's right, you. I'm glad you're here. Let's dive into God's Word and see what He has in store for us today. Starting verse 12. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our sorry, guaranteeing our interior oh my gosh, inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his translation of verse 14 says this spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people he did this so that we would praise and glorify him so the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised what is that inheritance son son eternity in heaven with him salvation salvation yeah, we've got, we've got this inheritance. The Spirit is a guarantee of that, the Holy Spirit. That's essentially the, the deposit, the down payment, right? That word guarantee, the Spirit is God's guarantee. Um, in, uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it correctly, but the original word for that is Arabon. It might actually be kind of accurate. Arabon, A-R-R-A-B-O-N, Arabon, which actually to a pledge or part of the purchase money or property given in advance as security for the rest or an earnest deposit, earnest payment have you ever heard of that as far as down payments earnest money given toward something essentially saying it's a deposit, it's a guarantee well, that's what that word is taken from, it's a guarantee it's a down payment so the word guarantee for down payment is used in, only in the New Testament showing that the Holy Spirit is our only down payment of the coming glory. Nothing else is provided, nothing else is needed. And this is the only guarantee that we have as a down payment toward for all of the promise given to us by God. So you know we, we know the story of the uh, the prodigal son, right? The 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 
one son says, you know, Dad, I want my inheritance now. You know, I want my share of what I would be given when you die. I want that now, even though you're dead. Essentially saying to his father, I don't care that you're still living. I want the money that I would be given when you pass away. I want it now. Exactly. He should have called J.G. Wentworth. He just said, Give me my money now. And uh, he, you know, we know the story. He went out, party, prostitute, squandered his money, right? And then he had nothing. And when all his money ran out, all his, you know, friends ran out. And uh, he was uh, eating with the pigs and eventually came back home thinking. Okay, maybe I could be a servant for my dad, and his dad instead ran out, running to him with open arms, gave him his signet ring, saying, everything I have is yours. Um, so he didn't, he didn't get, you know, the, the, there wasn't, he wanted what he had promised him now, right? But for us, we have this deposit. We have the Holy Spirit as a, a guarantee of the glory to come. Relating this to acceptance, which is what we were talking about last week, being accepted in God, um, accepted in Christ. How does the inheritance of the Holy Spirit reflect God's acceptance of us? How does the inheritance of the Holy Spirit reflect God's acceptance of us? No right or wrong answer. How does the inheritance of the Holy Spirit reflect God's acceptance of us? How does God give us the Holy Spirit prove that God accepts us? God is the Spirit. He's given us Himself already, saying, you know, of, of all the, the future glory to come, right? Of spending eternity with Him, of salvation, of saying, I'm gonna live inside of you. And you can and you can dwell with me right now here on earth, right? The Holy Spirit, if we've accepted what Jesus did for us, the Holy Spirit is already inside of us. It's a guarantee of saying, You're gonna spend eternity with me, how am I gonna prove it? I'm gonna live with you right now in your heart as you are, you know, flaws and all, you got the Holy Spirit, you have direct access to God. Romans 15 7 says, therefore accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Actually, I might turn it up for a second. Romans 15 7. Therefore, accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. I'm going to keep reading a little bit from there. Verse 8. Remember that Christ came as a servant to the Jews, to show that God is true to the promises he made to their ancestors. He also came so that the Gentiles might have might give glory to God for his mercies to them. That is why the psalmist, that's what the psalmist meant when he wrote, for this I will praise you among the Gentiles, I will sing praises to your name. And in another place it is written, Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. And yet again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, praise him, all you people of the earth. So here we have Paul, Paul writing here to the Romans. A series of passages from the Old Testament, a lot of Psalms. 
to, uh, demonstrating that God intends that the Gentiles praise him. Instead of dividing over disputable matters, Jews and Gentiles, you know, who can have access to God, that they should unite in Jesus over the common grounds of praise, saying, Gentiles, rejoice, praise him, praise him, all you people of earth, Gentiles, praise him. Instead of just being, okay, this is just for the Jews, this is the God of the Jews, it's, it's like, no, everyone is allowed to have access to God and should be able to praise him. So here, Paul is saying to the Romans to accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. So God has already accepted us, therefore we need to accept each other. Now there's a big, you know, in, in any given point in time, you know, not just back then, but right now also, you know, there's always divides between people, right? Between ethnic groups, between, um, you know, certain groups are, are cast out or not accepted in, in certain cultures. It's not just an Old Testament thing. You look in the Middle East and, you know, women are looked at certain ways. And you looked at, you know, here in, in a first world country and the poor are looked at certain ways. And, you know, the, the unlikables, the unclean, the, you know, wherever you go, there are certain groups that are kind of outcasted. And we're called to accept each other just as Christ has accepted us. And the same way Jesus took the commandment of love your neighbor as yourself, and he escalated. He's like, I'll raise you, love your neighbor as yourself, to love each other as I have loved you. And he took that command and made it even more personal. Made it even more harder to retain without him. So I have a few, uh, I've got five groups here. Um, we're not going to go through all these today. We might continue on with them. Um, we may or may not get to all of them at some point, but five, five groups that we often see Jesus loving on. You know, the, the, the cast out groups, cast off groups. Women, the poor, the unclean, the oppressors, and racial enemies. Five groups that Jesus loved, along with lots of other people, and you know you can look at other categories, but those are those are five common categories that we see. Today we're going to focus on on one of them. We're going to focus on women. So let's look first at Luke chapter eight. A lot of you will be familiar with this. Which verse? Just eight one or? Um, um, Luke eight verses one through three. Actually, this is the part I was talking about quite yet. But anyway, um, Luke eight verses one through three. Somebody want to take that? Sure. Go for it. Soon afterward, he went on through the, through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom several demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Well, this is actually something I didn't really recall until recently. Of Jesus allowed his ministry to be largely supported by the financial offerings of women. How about that? Jesus wasn't too prideful. Jesus wasn't like, no, I can only have men support me. You know, he allowed these women to not only just support the ministry, but follow along with him, along with his twelve disciples. Right? We hear, we know about you know the twelve guys, you know the twelve disciples who are. I am always with Jesus, but he also had a, a group of women there who followed along with him just like the 12 disciples did, going from place to place. So he allowed the women to be close to his ministry and to be able to be there alongside him as he's performing these miracles, as he's going town to town, spreading the good news 
allowing the women to be able to be a part of that and then to also support it financially. Is that going to the last one, Sarah? Oh, the very, very last one, yeah. Uh, and many others who provided for them out of their means. Okay. Mine says, and many others who provided for them out of their resources. Okay. Is that the end of verse 3? Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, mine says, these women who were helping to support them out of their own means. Yeah. NIV. Yeah. I just like how uh, Joanna is the wife of Chusa. He knows how to choose a woman. <laughs> Got him! Thank you. Appreciate it. I'll be here all night. <laughs> that's, that's, that. that's why I chuckled in the middle of reading it. I was trying so hard not to just break from the middle. No. I said choose a balls. No, I said choose and I was like Herod's household manager. <laughs> I struggle so much. Um, it's interesting. In, in the, the TV show The Chosen, you actually kind of see that in there. You see they, they show the women having, um, you know, doing a, like a wine press or like olive oil press and, and doing different things and selling things in the market to be able to support Jesus' ministry. Um, which I actually didn't recall until doing this, that, oh, that little aspect of that part of the Chosen was very biblically accurate as well. Of You know, I, I, was, I didn't even think of it as I'm watching the show. of like, oh, I don't recall anything in the Bible about them, you know, doing stuff like this to support the ministry, but there we go. All right, Luke 24, 1 through 11. Pages or a few quickie clicks. Luke 24, verses 1 through 11. Anybody want that? I got it. 1 through 11, you said? Mm -hmm. Luke 24? Yep. Yeah. Might as well go through verse 12 because that's the end of that okay. section. But verily. But very early on, Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Awesome. So who went to the tomb? The women. The women. The women. Verse 24, the women went to the tomb. You know, it doesn't say anything about any of the men going to, to check out the tomb, you know, three days later, but the women went there. They took the spices. They were about to, you know, prepare his body and wrap him again. And Jesus chose to make his first post-resurrection appearance to the women, right? He didn't show himself to, and, and of all people, to have a woman who was demon-possessed is among those people used to be demon-possessed. And Joanna, but I don't see Chosa. I don't see Chusa. Mm -hmm. Chusa's woman. Uh, or was that Joanna? Joanna was Chusa. Oh, Joanna was Chusa. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way I can remember is <laughs> But how about that, right? Jesus allowed women to support his ministry. Jesus allowed women to follow along. And Jesus allowed... Jesus decided to show himself first after he's been resurrected, first people to see him post-resurrection to this group of women. One of them being a former demon-possessed woman. 
And most of the time, we, we, we see women being the outcast. We see women being the ones that the men don't even talk to, especially Samaritan women. They don't even associate with them, let alone even a Jewish man not even talking to a Jewish woman. It'd just be something that just wouldn't happen. But Jesus is all about breaking down walls of division, which is why he does what he does. He turns everything that everyone knows upside down and chooses to break barriers and, and tear down these walls. Alright, now we're going to get to the story that we all know pretty well. John 4. We're in John 4. Before we move on real quick, I'll just point out um, a little apologetics fun fact is that the testimony of women back in that day wasn't considered reliable or useful <laughs> at all. So it's, it's uh, if the Gospels and the resurrection of Christ were, were being made up, this, this, this isn't something that you would make up, that the first person to see it would be, would be women. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of uh, a small piece of evidence towards the reliability and the historicity of, of the Gospels. Yeah, that's a very good fact. John chapter 4. So this is about the Samaritan woman at the well, which we won't read the whole section because it's a little lengthy. Skip 24 verse. Uh, I'm not sure what yet. Uh, but John chapter 4. Who can summarize kind of what happens here? Anyone who knows the particular details or any details? We can summarize it by, so there was a Samaritan woman. She kind of got around with a lot of men, and but Jesus, whatever, she it wasn't like known to everyone in the world. And the disciples went off to the town to go, I think, go get like food or something. And Jesus stayed behind and went to this well. And the Samaritan woman came and was at like the uh, height of the day, to where it was the hottest of the day. But she went there because if she went there with the other women, she would get like made fun of, and because everyone in that town in Samaritan. Samaritan. That's what. Samaritan. Samaritan. But in a sense, she came there, and Jesus, like, in in an essence, that this is the, this woman is the first person that Jesus came to and like announced that he was the Messiah, pretty much. Mm -hmm. That's like the big thing to take away from it. That, and he started like naming off all the different men she's been with and the men she with man he was with now. That these aren't really men that were for you, or you weren't supposed to be with them, and pretty much just falls down and, like says you're forgiven and like you don't have to then one day you won't have to go to a temple to go pray praise to God just that you'll be able to just do it anywhere and she pretty much just runs away crying going Jesus 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 he's the Messiah and then runs into town and pretty cool yeah you got it pretty much yep that's that's exactly what happens there another line in that little story Jesus is asking her for water and she's pushing one uh, instead of drawing me a cup Testing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a great you know, this whole passage is is just you know really great and yeah, Jesus chose to reveal just straight up, I am the Messiah for the first time to a woman who's a Samaritan who the Jews don't like, who's a prostitute or promiscuous, however you want to look at it. She's been with several men. You know, she may not be a prostitute, but she's, you know, married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced, you know, several times. All of these things. She's rejected by everyone. Right? Her, her own people don't like her. You know, the men won't talk to her. She's been divorced several times. The women won't even allow her to go to the well with her in the morning when it's cooler. This lady has nothing going for her. But Jesus chose to seek her out. So I'm going to go to this well. I'm going to reveal that I'm the Messiah to her first. And this is when then and from there, the ministry just kept growing. And, and the word kept spreading. And this lady is a big part of it too. She, she just went out and told everyone. And the, the whole village came to, to see what's going on with Jesus. 
stuff. I've heard it from too many people, Christians say, and, and other people also, you know, Muslims and other people say, Jesus never claimed to be the Messiah. Verse 26, then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. He very clearly says it. People, people like to take what they think they know about the Bible and try to use it against others and say, no, Jesus was just a prophet. Jesus, you know, he never claimed to be anything. He never claimed to be God. No, he did. He did many times and very clearly, I am the Messiah. A lot of times, there are many times where he'll not say it directly. They'll ask him, well, who are you? Who do you think I am? I am that I am. Right? But here it's very clear. And she and she said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. He's like, yeah, that's me. No. I'm the Messiah. expectations. Exactly. They're looking for a military ruler. They're looking for someone to free them from, you know, the Romans. And instead, you get this nice, humble guy who's just, you know, going around town with some other, you know, there's 12 other guys and these women around and, you know, not causing any issues, not overthrowing government powers, just going around healing people, talking to Samaritans, talking to women, talking to poor people, talking to the unclean Healing people with leprosy, doing things that the Pharisees, who are the ruler, who are the you know the high priest, doing things that they don't like, throwing around all these different rules. What do you guys think about this story of Jesus at the well with a Samaritan woman? What do you think that did to to this lady, this unknown named lady? The Samaritan woman. We all know her as the Samaritan woman. What do you think his Jesus' encounter with her did to her? I think it filled her with love. Yeah. <clears throat> just knowing that even just some random what she thought at the time a rabbi just knew who she was and then for the Messiah of all people to come to her a Samaritan woman that her whole life has probably been either just not picked on and that's a low word or bad word but just not looked at been been an outcast her whole life and even the Jewish people saying well you'll never be able to praise God because you can't come to Jerusalem and come to our temple and only in our temple can you praise God so her whole life she's been told that but then it's just like when the angel came to the shepherds it was like mm -hmm. out of all the people to come to he came to a shepherd which the Jewish people at that time hated shepherds or they didn't hate them but outcast because they hadn't they followed none of the right laws they were outcast on the outside but Jesus always came to those outcasts first to kind of, I think, prove like he's not here for the people that are just like, like that, like, yes, like last week we talked about the Pharisee and the tax collector. He's not coming for the people that just praise or that pray to God about their good works. He's come for those that are like, it's in their heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's so much that you can go through with this story. Um, and I'm not a biblical scholar, but from what I've read about biblical scholars, it sounds like she's being very, very snarky and sarcastic when Jesus is like, hey, I got this living water for you. She's like, oh yeah, I'd love to have some of that living water. Why don't you break it out right now? Like, that's <laughs> like kind of her, very, very snarky. Um, and then he's like, go ahead and get your husband and then I'll, 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 uh, I'll have it. And, and she's like, I don't have a husband. <laughs> it's kind of like, it's kind of the context that I've understood from different scholars. Um, and then he's like, hey, you're doing right, you don't. And then she pretty much does a 180 from that point. And then it's really cool because you see her in verse 39. She jumps into, like, many, it's, it says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So she starts going through town and saying, like, hey, he told me, like, everything that ever happened in my life um, and everything that I was doing. And so because of that, a lot of people ended up getting saved. And so it's just really cool 
to read the, the 180 um, that happens in just such a short period of time. She goes from being like really snarky with this guy to being like, oh, I'm all in. Like, this is 100% oh, real. Oh, this guy's serious. Um, yeah, this is for real. And um, yeah, so it's just, it's just really cool. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot that I love about this story. But those are the, the highlights, I think, of how she felt and how she was feeling throughout the story and how she just kind of turned it around. If this story were modern day today, like 2023 version of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, who would the Samaritan woman be? Or what group of people or what kind of people? Whoever you don't like the most, probably, realistically speaking. Honestly, I would probably say like the pride people, because that's what Christians right now like look at right now. Like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, it's one of the biggest wars right now. Well, if you want to call it war, battles. That's what I would think. Yeah, I think it's great that in... I feel like John knew that people from all around the world were going to end up reading what he was writing down because he gives context in verse 9. He says, How is that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then he puts in parentheses, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Like, just giving you the context. Instead of you having to get that from a scholar, you just get it directly from John. Um, and so, yeah, I think, Christian, you're probably... On the on the right train when it comes to just like whoever it is that you would not like not expect um, him to be dealing with. I don't know if this is totally out of um, maybe not <laughs> the right answer, but. In a way, I feel like I could be that Samaritan woman yeah. because, you know, at some point in my life, I can relate to things that she did or said and behaviors that she lived and um, bullying that she faced. Um, and then to think, like, she probably thought, I don't know, at some point in her life, like, there there will never be somebody that will show me like love because everybody looks at me frowns, frowns, frowns upon stuff that I do um, even when I try to do something good people still like don't believe in me because they've seen the so much of the bad that I've done that they can't even see a little glimpse of good in me so you know grow like growing up it's not like I had, you know, the best upbringing ever, so I could totally relate to this Samaritan woman and, and basically be her, you know, in different levels, but I could totally see myself like I, I'm, I'm her until God came into my life and now I'm, I'm her telling everybody that I can, like, dude, you won't believe it. Like, I am unconditionally loved by Jesus Christ and let me tell you all the cool stuff that he has done for me, the experiences that I've had with him in my life, how he has changed X, Y, Z, and look where I am now because of him, because of his work in my life, and because I took that step of faith to allow him to do it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm that Samaritan woman. I wonder how many people looked at her and thought, why did Jesus choose her? Why did Jesus choose that woman? That one. Crazy with them with six men, at least. Why did Jesus choose her? I don't think she was worth it. I don't think he made the right decision. He should have chosen someone else. Jesus, but couldn't, 
lot of people wanted to to know the truth about who he was. I especially like Pilate asked him like several times, like, who are you? Who do you say I am? Well you say that. Well they say that. Who do you think I am? And Jesus just straight up tells her, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> right? He he doesn't hold back. And I also wonder Why did you choose me? Why did you choose you guys? Right? He didn't have to. He chose to. Like he just said. Sometimes it feels like I'm the Samaritan woman. Sometimes it feels like I'm the the one who's who should be rejected, who is rejected, who, you know, doesn't deserve it. But for some reason, Jesus decided to choose me. Jesus decided to be like, I've got something for you got this living water. You want it? Sometimes it's just an answer. Sometimes just a, an answered prayer. I'm like, God, why did you answer that? I forgot about that prayer. I didn't think it was that important, but you chose to answer it anyway. racial and cultural conflict existed between Jews and Samaritans, which we've talked about. Jews normally avoided Samaria by first going east to Jericho and then following the Jordan Valley north. Um, Jesus had come to Jacob's well. That was part of the significance of this well, right? It had ancestral like significance to the Jews. Jacob had owned land near Shechem, which is to be where, you know, she talked about later, like our ancestors just lends even more weight to the fact that like Jesus didn't have to go that way. Jesus could have taken the shorter mm -hmm. route, right? The more efficient, more direct route to where he needed to go, but he went out of his way to meet with this mm -hmm. woman. Just like he can and will at times go out of his way to meet with us in ways that we don't expect and times that we're not looking for it. We're just going about our day doing Question: What were those verses you just read? Uh, they weren't verses. It's oh. a study note. Oh, verses study note. I'm sorry. I thought it was like part of John yeah. or something. But no, just a does study it connect note. back to verses four through six of John four? Oh, John four. Nice. So I pulled up a map. Actually, I was about to ask about. I don't know if anybody's seen this before, but I actually learned quite a bit about it. So, it when you're coming from where Jesus was coming from. It's a lot faster to go through Samaria, but it was almost just never done because the Jews hated the Samaritans so much. So they just take the route around, and apparently it would take them like three days, two to three days longer to go all the way around. But they hated it. <laughs> they hated Samaritan, Samaria so, so much that they would just go through. Um, and even like to your point at the beginning of the of John, it talks about how um, Jacob's well was there, and like that's the reason Jesus was going. We the disciples just didn't know. And so it's just, he he takes the shorter route, yeah. but it's the route that makes everybody else less More comfortable. comfortable. Right. Um, he, he took the, it's culturally right. more acceptable. Yeah. 
would prefer to go the long way. Yeah. But he wants the short one. Yeah. Yeah. Like the roadblocks out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, essentially, like, oh, I gotta go up to you know this area, but I could just go through Baltimore and be quicker. But it's like. <laughs> well, yeah, How about yeah, no? Yeah, really go <laughs> yeah, that's essentially what it'd be. I'd like. It's yeah, every time. I'd rather avoid this specific area of Baltimore, and I'd rather just take the longer route all the way around like, that way. I'm gonna go through Delaware to go to Ocean City because I don't want to drive on the bridge. Yeah, it's avoiding the tolls. <laughs> it's turning the avoidance feature on on maps. It's literally like, you know, you calculate your distance to where you want to go and you're like uh this says this amount of time and that says that amount of time i'm going that one yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. any final thoughts on samaritan woman before we move on um it's just really cool how this like one encounter changed her whole life and i can only imagine like this inheritance that we have of the holy spirit living in us and the one encounter that we may have with somebody, how it can change their life, um, of us making like such a big impact on someone, whether it's just a few words to them or a small action, um, whatever it is, and it it could prevent them from committing suicide. It can prevent them from doing so many things. Um, but yeah, just. I think about that on the daily whenever I'm at work and going to each one of my patients. I'm like, what can I do or say that hopefully would make some type of impact on them that they can get out of that bed? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how many, we don't even know how many people's lives just changed because of that one conversation. So this is this is the story of Jesus healing the woman who had been um, bleeding for twelve years. She's had um, bleeding, constant bleeding for twelve years, couldn't find any cure. And here we have another situation of um, what I call just like going through Samaria, right? While it's shorter, it's kind of like rather be avoidable. I call this productive procrastination, um, what Jesus does here in, in this instance, um, where we have the story starting off with um, the man who's a synagogue leader comes to Jesus because his daughter is 12 years old and is dying. And Jesus, you know, agrees and to go to his house to go see her, to heal her, um, really to, kind of, to go see her, and there's a crowd of people surrounding, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, hey, that guy, Jesus is here, and a crowd surrounds him, he's on his way to go to this 12-year-old girl who's dying, and this woman, who's been bleeding for 12 years, reaches out in the middle of the crowd, everyone's kind of bumping and pushing and trying to get close to him. And she knows who he is. And she just reaches out and touches the like fringe at the very end of his robe. And immediately the bleeding stopped. And that moment in verse 45, Jesus stopped and asked, who touched me? And it's kind of like one of those like funny moments in the Bible where um, Peter's like, um, like, Jesus, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. Like, what do you mean? Like, everyone's touching you right now. He said, no, someone deliberately touched me. I felt healing power go out from me. 
And I'll keep reading from there. That was verse 46. Verse 47. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her, heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And here we have, you know, the this daughter is dying, right? The story started off with Jairus, the synagogue leader, like, Jesus, come heal my daughter. She's 12 years old. She's dying. Uh, okay, yeah, let's go. And then, like, stop. Someone touched me in this crowd. Like, yeah, everyone's touching. No, someone deliberately touched me. I felt the power go out of it. But it's just stopping, right? Well, little 12-year-old girl dying. And then news comes from the house of Jairus. Your daughter is dead. Just leave Jesus alone. No, no, no use in bothering him anymore. When Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, Don't be afraid, just have faith, and she will be healed. So he continued on to his house, and, and then he went there, told all the people who were weeping to stop weeping, that she's not dead, she's only asleep. Then he goes inside and tells her, my child, get up. And then she immediately stood up. So we have two amazing miracles right there in that, that short section. Both actually happened to be with women. In verse 48, he said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Here she is as an outcast, right? She's constantly bleeding. She's ceremonially unclean 24-7. The past 12 years, she hasn't been able to do certain rituals, be around certain people, touch anyone, because she's ceremonially unclean. And now he calls her daughter. We see him, we see Jesus not only speaking to women, but we see him in a way, uh, or with a, an element of tenderness. He doesn't just heal the woman with the bleeding disorder. He calls her daughter. He could have just said, woman, you're healed. And said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Not because you touched the fringe of my robe, Chapter you're healed. Sorry. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Sometimes he says, go to Miss Carnival. Other times it's just like he just does it. Yeah. It's a very strange. Yeah, I've got no reason why. I don't know why. Yeah, it's like reading in 51, or verse 51, where it's like, at the beginning of that, it's like, did not let anyone go in, the, go in with him except Peter, John, and James. Um, and then it's like, you're like, you hear everyone wailing and mourning, but Jesus is like, she's not dead, but asleep. I mean, that just like resonates. It's highlighted in red and NIV. And, you know, then they're like laughing about it. And they're like, my child, get up. And everyone's like ordered. And that's kind of what you just said. Um, just, uh, just I don't, I'm blanking on it already. Anyway, point being is, uh, it's fascinating to hear that Jesus is like, saying all these things and in the beginning it's like don't be afraid like that's said so much in the bible which is true to not be afraid of what's just trust in what's going to happen and it will take care of itself yeah maybe it's another translation or another account of either this or some other story but uh somewhere it also says that he sent all the people out of the house besides these people right so there were people in the house but they had to actually leave because of their doubt. They already thought she was dead. They didn't believe that anything could happen. So the doubt had to go away so the belief could be there for him to do that. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I, that's I'm not in, in this, I'm not saying it, but I think it's another thing. I'm on board with that because we see here in, in uh, Luke 8, right? Verse 48, daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And then we see in verse 50, when he's now talking to, he's talking to Jairus, the father of the daughter who is now dead, saying, don't be afraid, just have faith, and she'll be healed. This man, Jairus, is in that crowd who just witnessed this woman who was healed because of her faith. Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And now he's looking at him and saying, have faith. And she will be healed. Imagine that. That's, that's a really strong reason to have faith. This woman who had faith was just healed. Whoa, how about that? How about that? How old was the... How, how long had that woman been bleeding? Yeah, 12, 12. 12 years. How old is this girl who just died? 12, 12 years old. I just realized that. The woman who had been bleeding for 12 years was just healed because of her faith. A girl who's 12 years old is dead and will be healed, brought back to life because of her father's faith. 12 years, 12 years. That's pretty cool. 12 disciples. 12 disciples. Ooh. <laughs> Number of the day brought to you by 12 months. <laughs> Let us slay that in there. Here. I'm pretty sure that came after. <laughs> Points for trying. Eight One forever. other final thing I'll just throw out there. We don't have to turn there, but we also see in uh, Luke thirteen sixteen, um, Jesus addressing um, healing a woman uh, who's been in spiritual oppression for oppression for eighteen years, calling her a daughter of Abraham. Um, so we see another another instance of Jesus calling someone a daughter, and essentially putting her on the same spiritual status as men because they're called. You know, sons of Abraham. Now he's saying, daughter of Abraham. Um, she had been in bondage by Satan for 18 years. And now she's been healed on the Sabbath. So we have all these instances, right? We've got the Samaritan woman at the well. We have the women being allowed to be part of Jesus' ministry and to financially support. We've got the, the women being... Um, the first appearance of the post-resurrection, the woman being healed of bleeding, the little girl being brought back to life, and then the lady who was in spiritual bondage for 18 years being called a daughter of Abraham. All these, and there's, there's others, these were just select ones, some of the bigger ones, in my opinion, of Jesus breaking down these walls of division with women here. Saying... I accept you. Women are accepted by Christ. That God doesn't put women in the same category that men put women in of they're just there, they're property, they can't do anything. No, Jesus is here to break down those walls and to say, everyone, I love everyone, I came for everyone, I accept everyone for who they are. Uh, a quote by Charles Spurgeon, Christ did not receive us because we were perfect, because we, because he could see no fault in us, or because he hoped to gain something from our hands. No, but in loving condescension, covering our faults, and seeking our good, he welcomed us to his heart. So in the same way, and with the same purpose, let us receive one another. Which is really very similar to what is saying in Romans 15, 7, therefore accept one another as Christ has accepted you, so that you'll be given, so that God will be given glory. Very similar in that aspect of Christ has no reason to accept us, right? He doesn't, he's not accepting us because we're perfect, it's not, we don't, it's not because we don't have any faults. God doesn't get anything from us by accepting us, but he chooses to anyway. So in the same way we've been accepted, we should accept others. Final thoughts? Comments, questions, concerns? Well, a lot of good scripture that you can pull out and how we made the connections we made to tying it to 
like numbers like we had 12 mentioned and we have 18 mentioned here in Luke and you can just go pull it all out and it, and it will help connect the dots in the sense of what we're actually pulling out and what we want to hear and what he's done for us and what he continues to do for us that you know like we said that says in a lot that we're all his hands and feet we're his vessels we're his you know um, the people he sent out into this world of crazy and good and bad but you know we look back at that and we're like okay we're set up to do these things we live to do it or we don't so yeah fascinating I wonder if the crowd was just treating Jesus as like a celebrity <laughs> like they didn't like really believe he was the Messiah they were kind of just like public figures because you can even see like today like when there's like a big Jewish leader coming about or there's prophets, they did the same thing and they still do the same thing now where they put their hands up and they try to just touch them. But then the Samaritan woman really had that, like Jesus said, had that faith, like, no, this is the real Messiah. Even if I barely even touch his clothes, I'll be healed. So I wonder if that's like, what was, what, what was going through the other people's minds? Like, were they just because, oh, here comes, I don't know, some celebrity, let's try to touch him because that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. You know, and like, is that's kind of like sometimes like maybe we treat Jesus. Do we just treat Jesus as some celebrity or some way like fit to a group rather than having actual faith in him, knowing that he's going to, he's really the Messiah and believing him really does change your life. chapter and verse off the top of my head, but there's also the story of um, uh, Mary and Martha, where, I forget which was which, but one of them, one of the women was like scrambling to clean up the house, mm -hmm. while the other one's just sitting at Jesus' feet listening mm -hmm. to him teach. And uh, in those days, women weren't allowed to be disciples of rabbis. So the, Jesus, like, kind of, I don't know if chides the right word, but chastises a little bit the woman who was trying to clean even though like that's, that's a good thing mm -hmm. she was like trying to cook and clean whatever and he's, but she's, he's like sh she knew like to come like sit at my feet and he kind of affirms her even though culturally in that day that she was in the wrong mm -hmm. but Jesus said you know, she was doing the right thing mm -hmm. yeah yeah Mary's there like wiping his feet and praising her praising him and Martha's in the kitchen like preparing a meal which is a good thing also but he's like you know Martha realizes what she has and you're not always going to have me so Mary Mary and Martha said she Mary yeah did I say Martha both times you said Martha 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 I didn't even try with the name Martha's the busy body yeah I remember that yeah for the Martha 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 God, we thank you for accepting us for who we are, faults and all, for accepting us as we come and not requiring us to do anything or to clean up our act before we can come to you. If that were the case, I'd probably never be able to get close to you if I had to clean up my act completely. Um, probably none of us would be able to. Thank you that you come running to us just like the, the father and the prodigal son. You don't you don't wait for us to to clean up to be perfect, but you you are always standing there with arms wide open, ready to accept us as we are. Thank you for being the God of countless second chances and for just taking us as we are. Uh, pray that you help to really put on all of our hearts to, to just see your love, to see your acceptance for who we are, to be able to never be afraid to come to you with heavy burdens, with feelings of rejection or anything else that might stand in the way because you've already broken down those walls. Help us just come to you broken and ready to surrender to who you are and know that you will be able to clean us up and take us in. Thank you for 
um, showing that you've broken down this wall of division with women, that you accept women just as much as you accept men, and um, and all these other people, and, and the poor, and um, the unclean, and, and even your enemies, that you accept them all. Thank you for, for doing that, when you didn't have to, you chose to. Thank you for your love, your mercy. Uh, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Hey, thanks for listening. It's always a good time when God's presence is with us. I hope you enjoyed it and that you tune in again for the next episode of the Monday Night Godcast.